Adam Weinberg is in the studio. He has a new album called Laugh, Cry, Grief, Hope. And Adam, welcome to WLRN. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Is this, this isn't your first album. It is not my first album. It's my first album with lyrics, though, in a long time. You uh, live in South Florida, yeah. uh, which really enticed me because I've never heard of you before. <laughs> you, do you play out as much? Um, not so much here because most of my work is for either or for other artists who are touring nationally. So um, this is the first, COVID, like for many people, was a great uh, excuse to focus on my own art. So who who had you worked for and with in the past? Sure. So my main gig is I work production uh, for Andrea Bocelli, the singer. So I've been doing that for about 17 years, all his tours in North America. So that's what has paid the bills. But then I also tour part-time as the acoustic guitar player for Matt Desiahu, the singer Matt Desiahu. That's quite a range there, yes. opera to uh, reggae. reggae. Yes, correct, yeah. <laughs> how, how is it that you uh, – so are you with the studio? No, so the Andrea Bocelli stuff is a small company that's based here in South Florida and Surfside. The offices are in Surfside. And the head of that company has been doing Bocelli North American touring for about 21 years. Um, I've been doing it for about 17. Um, and then Matt Desiao is just somebody I met right when he was starting out, you know, about 20 years ago now, a little less, maybe 18 years ago. And we just hit it off. It's sort of a crazy story. I, I tried to promote one of his events when I was living in St. Louis, and his he came in early for a bunch of stuff we were doing to promote the show, and his band got stuck in New York in a blizzard. So I ended up playing the show because his band didn't make it in. So we hit it off because I had to learn all the music in like six hours when we found out the flight wasn't coming in. And that's sort of how our relationship started as me playing with him and then started touring at that time with him. Have you been toured before? With anyone? No, not. I mean, I was in a band in college and we toured for many years, you know, but that was the first person to hire me, you know, to 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 be their guitarist. Well, Matt DeSuso, he he's he was internationally known yeah, because yeah, no. uh, he's brought uh, the Orthodox Ju- Judaism Correct. to reggae. That's right. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and you had to learn all his songs in six hours. Yeah, it might have been less, to be honest. <laughs> we had charts on the floor, you know, it was just writing stuff out. But his drummer, who was a great at the time, who was a great musician, I, I called him. You know, and I said, you got to walk me through this stuff. I don't have enough time to listen to it and chart it out. It's relatively simple music, but still, you know, the stress of the situation was was significant. So I had sheets of paper on the floor, and I, a buddy of mine who was in a band, a jazz ensemble that I was in at the time in St. Louis, and I called him, you free? Yeah, I'm free. Okay, you're playing bass. And we just had sheets of paper on the floor with, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you obviously hit it off because you've toured yeah. with him now for quite a while. Yeah, correct. So, yeah, it was it was a fast friendship after that. Uh, uh, did it? I, I assume you're Jewish. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. Did that have anything to do with you touring with Matthias? Um, I don't know if that's why he hired me. It was interesting to me. The reason I, I discovered him, so to speak. I mean, not that I discovered him. I'm saying I learned about him. I was in New York, um, just for some family stuff, and and oddly enough, my wife's ex boyfriend was promoting a show. And I said, well, I can't go to that show because I have another friend who's a drummer playing a show, and we already agreed to go to his show. And we go to this club, and it turns out that my wife's ex-boyfriend was promoting the opening act, which was Matt Desiahu. So I just, you know, I learned about him that way. At the time, my father was becoming more religious. You know, we grew up in Kendall here, very typical secular-ish Jewish, you know, upbringing. But he got more interested in spiritual Judaism sort of at the end of high school for me, college time. So I was I was exploring. I was like, what's my dad getting into here? Let me kind of figure this out. So Matt Tissot, as a music kid, you know, that was a, a, that was all I did in college, you know, 
classmate in high school. So as a music kid, it was interesting. Okay, here's a guy who's already religious. My father's becoming religious, and he's playing this music, you know, I was a huge Bob Marley fan. As a kid, I went to Bob Marley Fest every year at Bayfront Park when it was there, you know, bring my cans of soup and donate to get in. You know, that's how they used to do it. So I was a big Bob Marley fan. I love reggae music. So this is interesting. So I was personally interested in what he was bringing to the reggae table, so to speak. So now you've played some of the biggest stages in the world. And Uh, and you've promoted Andrea Bocelli on the biggest stages of the world. Yeah. Are you spoiled? No, not at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I, I try. You know, I, I. To be honest, I was. I was joking with some friends of mine who who are helping me with the release show I'm doing down here uh, at the bridge on May nineteenth. Um, that I that to promote yourself is a whole other thing, you know, because I see what Matisseau has accomplished, and obviously Bocelli. I mean, that's a whole other thing. So I look at myself as like, you know, what? Why is anyone paying attention to me? So I was uh, a friend of mine interviewed me for his podcast a few days ago, and I said, "Look, I'm by far the least known person on your podcast, and the only way I can feel comfortable even accepting the invitation is I almost have to like create a character about myself. You know, like if you're promoting yourself, it feels egotistical, especially if you're in the context of like, wait, I know what real touring musicians have been doing for 20 years, and I've been kind of honestly sitting on the sidelines and making my money as a sideman or as doing production or promotion." So in my head, I kind of, okay, if I, I have to believe in myself, right, if you want to get it out there. But it's uncomfortable for me. It's not my nature. It's my nature to do it for other people, but not for myself. So in a sense, I have to create like this character called Adam Weinberg Music, and that's who I'm promoting. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Because yeah. anytime you're in the spotlight, it's, it's a pretty heady thing. Yeah. Because uh, people have perceptions of you that are not, not real. Uh, so what are your expectations with the release of your new album? I want to play a lot of shows, um, you know, getting to work for people like Bocelli. People come to our office all the time, you know, knocking on the door. Hey, you know, can you help us? You can you get a show. And my answer to them is always we don't break artists. It's not what we do. Um, play shows, play shows and see what happens. So I have to take my own advice and play a lot of shows as Adam Weinberg, not as Matt Seattle's sideman or, you know, whatever. So my expectations are to play a lot of shows and earn my keep, so to speak. But this is music that was born out of a lot of difficulty and tragedy in my family, um, specifically the loss of my brother-in-law. My wife and I have been, we're 42 now, my wife and I have been together off and on since we were 16. So my brother-in-law was a big part of my life for a long time. She's also from down here. So the, the, the healing, the grief process of all of that um, brought a lot of lyric writing out of me for the first time since college, you know, in about 20 years. So I, I recognize that I'm particularly proud of the music. And so I've sort of thrown everything at it. COVID was great for that. My wife works at Memorial Hospital. I was the one home with the kids, homeschooling with lots of time on my hands. They're on Zoom school and I'm sitting around going, well, there's no concerts. And you know, what am I going to do? So I took this music I had started writing after my brother-in-law passed away, uh, which was August of 2020. So a little bit before um, of uh, COVID, I'm sorry, August of, 19, of 2019, so before COVID. So I had a bunch of the music already, but I wanted to flush it out. I wanted to see what it could become and started working with guys who were willing to come over to the garage from down here and put a mask on and, you know, write string charts and horn charts and what's the groove going to be on this tune and how can we make this tune better. So my expectation is for people to hear it and to earn it by playing shows. That's it. 
Adam Weinberg is in the studio. Uh, before I have you play a song, what, yeah. who were your friends? What what friends did you call over to help you with the album? So the main person is a, a tremendous drummer down here named Arturo Garcia, who plays a lot of. If you go to any like the jazz nights at you know Lanyap or the Anderson, he's he's there all the time playing. He's a UM guy, you know, from UM, but he's a tremendous arranger and composer as well. His drums are his main instrument, but he has. You know, on the record, he plays Glockenspiel and, you know, does a bunch of other fun things. Um, he's just got a, he's just a very talented guy. So who's the main guy? And he helped me find other people, a great slide guitar player named Taylor Bird, bass player named Brian Tate. Um, I brought in a bass player from a band that I used to play a lot with in college, a guy named Mark Friedman from a band called The Slip, which was a, when I was in college, was a pretty, you know, in like the jazz jam scene was a big deal for a minute. Um, brought in a friend of mine from L.A. named Clint Wielander, and we just, you know, between Clint and Mark and Arturo and all these people, we just sort of, you know, threw it together. Well, uh, before I play a song from the album, uh, you have your guitar with you. Let's yeah. get a couple of songs in. Sure, thanks. Uh, just acoustically, what, sure. what do you want to start with? This is uh, this song is called Ways of Man. There's Adam Weinberg. <laughs> When things don't work out the way we plan, we often look towards the axe of man. Well, we're all tossed into a different maze, but try as we might to see through the night. Yeah, these are the ways of man. And when life works out just as we expect, we thank ourselves, but fail to detect that the path that we're on, well, it's often unknown. And we are reaping, ain't always what we've sown. Yeah, these are the ways of man. Now, if you found yourself pushed aside, with whom would you seek to rest and reside? Now would you switch places with another Your friend, a stranger, your sister, a brother Yeah, these are the ways These are the ways Yeah, these are the ways of man Now we ain't aware What lies ahead A castle of comfort Or an empty bed well, I speak to myself as guilty as you. A breath to take, some guidance would do. Yeah, these are the ways of man. Adam Weinberg, live in the WLRN studio. 
Why why did you write that song? That song is a little bit later in the record process and um I was just sort of dealing with a lot of like anxiety issues and not accepting sort of where I was in life and wanting things to change and wanting to feel better, I wanted my wife to feel better, my kids to feel better, my in-laws to feel better. And I just sort of gotten this sort of practice of acceptance of like the randomness of life. Um, you know, you're kind of dealt a lottery ticket at birth kind of thing and you don't get to choose that lottery ticket. Um, but you try to make the best of it. So the song's really about perspective. You know, that line like, um, uh, we don't know, you know, what to expect, a castle of comfort or an empty bed. You, you don't really know what you're born into. And so kind of accept it, make the best that you can do with it, but also recognize everyone else around you didn't get to pick their lottery ticket of birth either and have empathy and, and a little perspective, you know. So that's what that song's about. Your new album, uh, official re- when is the official release date? May 13th. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure that's very exciting. Is it, uh, you having a release party? Yeah, May 19th at the Bridge here in Miami. And the Bridge is a recording studio, uh, I guess. Yeah. Okay. It's a recording studio they turn to an event space, you know, multiple nights a week, so... Um, yeah, well, you know, it's got a stage, it's got a built-in PA system and all that. So it's used as a recording studio during the day, and oftentimes at night they have, you know, record release parties, concerts, etc. I uh, I noticed uh, on your uh, website, well, you do a lot of YouTube videos. Yes. And I got to hand it to you, they're very creative. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I do it, uh, you do it, I guess, with your family yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I drag them in. <laughs> well, it looks like they're having fun as well. Yeah. Did you teach yourself the technical production yeah. side of that? Yeah. I mean, I the, the truth is like there there were times like promoting different shows that either, you know, small show or something we couldn't afford a certain thing we wanted to do for advertising. So I had learned little things along the way. Um but COVID was a good time I said you know, again, the kids were in Zoom school, and I'm sitting around, like, I'm trying to watch over their shoulder. Are you really paying attention to math class? But how much, you know, it was a weird thing. So I bought a green screen, I downloaded different software, and I sat around, and I just kind of messed around until it till it worked. <laughs> Do they appreciate your musical skills and songwriting skills? I think so. Uh, I think my kids have gotten pretty into it. My daughter especially, she takes voice lessons and piano lessons, and... Um, you know, she's really into my, my middle son is, is really like musical. I mean, before COVID, he was supposed to be the lead in some, in like a school, um, he was going to be the Freddie Mercury in this like, you know, you know, band thing at school. And so they have, I mean, look, they push against my particular music taste as all kids should do to their parents. Um, but I think they are accepting of like, oh, our parents kind of maybe have something to show us about music and they're not completely in their own heads about it. Well, what what is your musical taste? Um, so growing up, I was, in high school, I was a, you know, unashamed, massive fish head. So I, I met my wife chasing fish around the country in Vermont. <laughs> you know, she, my wife has done a whole summer tour in a van with her friends. I never quite did that, but I went to as many shows as I possibly could. Um, but then when I got to, and I, my parents took me to Allman Brothers shows down here at the old Sunrise Theater and I saw Santana and Bob Dylan and they were big, you know, they were big classic rock people and they would take me to shows. And, um, so I was into that when I got into college, I studied jazz for a while and got very deep into that scene. Um, where was that school? Washington University in Mm -hmm. St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, and then later, like when my, then I was just discovering like spiritual Judaism and stuff like that. I got very into the John Zorn scene. You know that scene out of New York? I don't know that. He's scene. a composer there um, that sort of was a big jazz guy. Also had an epiphany that was like, 
there's a Jewish lineage of music as well, and kind of decided he was going to write these this book called Masada, which is hundreds of like Jewish melodies, but original quote unquote Jewish melodies. And then he put together these super groups of bands to play them, uh, cello suites and jazz ensembles and big orchestras and small things and, and, you know, noise rock, you know, and guitar trios like Bill Frizzell and Tim Sparks would play these music. Um, all Jewish music. All, yeah, all written by John. And I got very into that. And the the first record that I did, the first record I saw I did was 100% like, not a ripoff, but like it was all I was listening to. And I was like, I want to write like this too. Like, can I tap into this? Thing. So that was the first like real solo record I did. Instrumental, that instrumental, one. yeah, mm-hmm. out of college. Um, so that's what I was really into. And then the guys in my band in college were really like, really songwriter kind of guys. And I was like the fishhead jazz kid, and they were like pushing against me a little bit, being like, "Okay, we get that. That's interesting musically." But they were like Wilco, and you know, um, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. The band, they you know, they wanted to play band tunes and and. Dylan tunes and you know Wilco and some of the more interesting you know Vampire Weekend you know, good songwriters good modern songwriters and they really got me into that stuff and then I started listening to like a ton of that music war, the War on Drugs the Bar Brothers that kind of stuff a lot of that music I'm not familiar with but Fish who you are a big fan of yeah. would, are they more of a jazz band I mean they they incorporate a lot of styles I mean they have a jazz sensibility. Um, but they play in like a rock idiom. So what I would say about them is when they're improvising, they're playing over different key changes and they're playing over different rhythmic changes like a jazz player would, but their vocabulary is very rock. You know what I mean? They're not, if you listen to the way they improvise, it's not the way a jazz musician would improvise. However, they are playing over very complex, you know, chord changes and rhythm changes. So it's similar in like philosophy, but I think different in execution. And your new album, Laugh, Cry, Grief, Hope, uh, what do you think that sounds like? What sound were you going for there? Um, I didn't know when I started writing it, to be honest, but I think it's like a, it's like a folk rock record. You know, that's, that's what came out. That's what made sense to me. And that's a lot of what I was listening to at that time. Um, I listened to a ton of Wilco when writing it. I just love Jeff Tweedy's songwriting. Um, and then my dad's like a huge Dylan guy, has been my whole life. So... You know, during this period of time, there wasn't a lot of people we were visiting, but I go to, to my dad's. My dad has a guitar. We'd sit and he doesn't know a lot of music to play, but he knows like 100 Dylan songs. So I was playing a lot of Dylan with my dad. So it was in my head. I was listening to a lot of Wilco stuff. So I think that was just naturally. And then this band, the Bar Brothers, who, who you know, they're a little bit underground. I don't think a lot of people know them. But the guitar player in that band is a guy named Brad Barr, who I he was in this other band I referenced before, The Slip, in college. He also did a similar transition. He was in like this post-bop jazz band when we were both touring in college at that time. And then became this, in my opinion, this incredible singer-songwriter. And I've kind of looked up to him and I go, you know, I've, I list, Brad's an incredible player. Forget, he can write the simplest, most beautiful song, but you can put the most complex music in front of him and he can do it. So I, I really... Brad is down here? No, he, he lives in Montreal now, actually. Okay. But um, I, I very much look up to him as like... A, you know, quietly, you know, following his lead, so to speak. And as you mentioned, this is your first album of of songs, of, of lyrical Lyr- songs. Yeah. Was yeah. that a difficult thing for you to accomplish, writing songs? It wasn't something I even thought about, but the, the reality is I was in a really bad headspace after my brother-in-law died, and I, I went to get therapy. I needed it. I was, you know, 
uh, was not a functional human being on this a daily was recently basis. yeah a couple of years ago yeah yeah um and one of the exercises i'd stopped playing guitar because i just was depressed and anxious and you know and so i guess you know i'm not sure why i stopped it just it wasn't a thing i was thinking about and my therapist said you know as an exercise because it is important to you i want you to play every night and I want you to record yourself playing every night. And I want you to voice memo me, you know, text me what you played that night as proof that you're doing the exercise. So I ended up with, you know, five, six nights a week playing for maybe five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And I ha- what I ended up playing were these little melodies. And then I thought, well, also, I was journaling for, as part of like my process. Writing down, I don't feel good today. It wasn't me, so I started writing poems and lyrics. That that made more sense as like a journaling exercise, and then I started putting them together. So it wasn't like I was like, I'm gonna write this album of of lyrical music. It was sort of like I'm playing guitar every night. I'm journaling these these poems basically, and then I okay, this is obvious. Let's just start marrying these two things together. And acoustic guitar was always your instrument. Yeah, I mean, in college, you know, you're not allowed to study anything but classical and jazz music in college. So I, you know, I had a old, you know, Gibson ES125 jazz box, and I played a lot of, you know, standards, you know, gigs for the business school where no one's listening. I did a lot of that work, you know. Um, but yeah, once I started touring with Mattis Yahoo and writing my own music, even that first instrumental record is all acoustic stuff. I think I did that as like finding a niche for myself, you know. <laughs> well, this is, you're going out of your niche now with this new with album. This, yeah, sure. Uh, the new album is called Laugh, Cry, Grief, and Hope. Adam Weinberg is in the studio. Let's have you do one more song, and I'll play a song from the okay, album. Okay, sure, great. Uh, this song's called Your Time. Um, and I'll play this one. Coming home again 
because my time ain't on your time and your time was based on no crime cause ain't nothing hurts like being Adam Weinberg, live in the WLRN studio. Adam is going to have his album release party Thursday, May 19th at the Bridge here in Miami. The new album is called Laugh, Cry, Grief, Hope. So I assume that this album helped you a lot. Yeah, tremendously. And uh, your therapist was happy. Yeah, (laughs) dead on. Dead on. Nail on the head. (laughs) That's what I tell her. And uh, you're playing at the bridge. Are you playing out other places? Are you getting I, gigs? Yeah, I mean, I did a couple. I did a show at the Center for Subtropical Affairs a few weeks back, and now I'm trying to just put, you know, I don't want to too many things. And, oh, I saw you a couple weeks ago. I'm trying to focus all the energy on this release show because it's Arturo. It's a full band. It's Dion Kerr, who's an amazing bass player down here in Miami. Uh, Arturo, who helped me with the record on drums. Uh, my buddy Aaron Dugan, who uh, is the electric guitar player in Mathis Yawa's band, is coming down to do some of the lead guitar stuff. And then we have a three-piece horn section because there's horns and they're covering the horn parts and we're rearranging some of the string parts for horns. So it's a seven-piece band. I don't know how often I'll be willing to, you know, afford a seven-piece band. So uh, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket for this May 19th show. And then in, in late July and then October, I'll be touring, you know, a bunch of places. And this album was made during COVID. So the, yeah. uh, the opportunity is not going to happen again, I suppose. I don't, right. I don't know. It's uh, to you, you mean to, to what? To make another <laughs> to album? make another album. No, 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 no. I, I, I think that this, I, I hope that's not true. I think that this process uh, opened up in me and made me realize that I... You know, whether people like it or not, that's to be seen but uh, or that's to be heard. But I think f- it, it convinced me or showed me that I can write in this style and I very much enjoy writing in this style and I'd like to make a lot more records. I mean, I did a record. I did a lot of, not a lot. I did a bunch of film scoring um, in the last 10 years or so also. And so I had a record that came out that was like my favorite, you know, that I, I truncated them so they were more, you know, they weren't 
12 minute, you know, scores. They were, you know, three or four minute pieces. So I did a record of that. So I have the solo instrumental record. I have that record. I have band records from college. I have stuff I've written and produced for Mathis Yahoo and been on. Um, and so I've kind of always been doing the same. Like, oh, but this is right now. This is what I love to do. So even if I'm back on tour with Mathis Yahoo or I'm promoting, you know, 30, 40 Bocelli shows a year, I always make time for writing. The question is, what was I writing and what did I think that writing was worth? You know, like that record of, of, of film score music, I wasn't going to tour that. It was just like, oh, this is a moment in time. I did these three films. Um, it'd be nice if other people heard that music because there were indie films that played at some festivals and then, you know, they'll never be seen again. So theoretically, this album should do better than those I, previous I would, albums. It, it's it's doing a lot better already. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I mean, thanks to so so. Um, I do have a, a record label, and it's like an administrative distribution deal. But good friends of mine who I played it for them. I was on tour with Bocelli in L.A. I went over to the guy's house who runs the label, and I said, "Just listen to these, you know, the, the tracks." And you know, I'm not asking for anything, but if you like them, maybe we can. And he really did, and he's been amazing, and he gave me a great team of incredible women who are helping me out. And so, you know, the music that I see, and you get reports now once you're signed up for this stuff, and you get your streaming reports or whatever. You go crazy with that stuff. Correct, which I've never paid attention to, right? I would occasionally look on Spotify, oh, okay, this song that I wrote 10 years ago has 4,000 streams. This music is, the three singles that have been released thus far have like, you know, two and a half, three times in in two weeks what, what my albums have had in 10 years, so... You know, it's it's nice. It's a nice thing. I won't lie. That's a real good sign. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting when you started your musical career. You, you really have no idea what directions it's going to take or where you're going to end. And and so far, this album is the culmination of your musical yeah. career. Yeah. Uh, what song? What should I play for it? Off of it? Is there a sing? Is which? which where's the, what's the single? So since I played those other two. Um, they, so the way the labels do it now is they do three singles. This is all new to me, but they do three singles ahead of the release and a focus track, which they're like pushing to radio, I guess, while everything else is you know simmering on the surface. Do you have any say in what those songs yeah, are? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay. One of my attitudes for this record, by the way, was let people smarter than me at different things do what they want to do. Like that, hiring Arturo, I could have written bad horn string charts, but Arturo can write better. Hire Arturo. I could have played decent slide guitar but hire a better slide guitar player that's been my attitude so i told the record label from the beginning i don't know what i'm doing with this you know i believe in the music you tell me you're the fan so to speak or, or else you wouldn't have cared they they know i'm not worth a lot of money right now so they're doing it because they like it or they're my friend whatever the reason is so that's been my attitude is let people who are caring about their particular expertise do what they like and i'll sit in the background and say thank you very much and smile and you know, be grateful. So that's my attitude. So I would play, um, uh, I think Quiet would probably be the song to play since I played kind of the other two. And what's that song Sing about? On. That was the first song I wrote for the record. And it's um, it's about having a lot of anxiety, really. It's it's like, uh, it's a, it's the opposite of Quiet. The song is about all the noises in your head. You know, in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they call it sticky thoughts, right? So you have a you know, if, if you're having a normal day and you look down at your arm, oh, I got a spider bite last night. That's the end of the thought. If you're in a generalized anxiety state, that spider bites your whole day, right? How many dermatology appointments can I make to make sure it's not a staph infection? You know, how many creams can I buy to put on it, right? That's what happens. And that's what was happening to me for whatever reason. There were other issues besides my brother-in-law passing away. My mom had emergency surgery and was in the ER off and on for a bunch of months. My son had a seizure disorder that, thank God, you know, corrected itself, so to speak. 
Um, so there's a lot going on at that time. And uh, this song is about accepting the noises in your head instead of making it your whole day. Right. Because you can I did spend a whole day about I spent more than a whole day about a spider bite on my arm. And I did see three dermatologists and every one of them told me I was fine. I've told them they're all crazy. I'm clearly not fine. Right. It's almost like you want someone to tell you you're dying. Um, and when they tell you you're not, oh, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, so this is that that's what that song is about. It's just accepting, you know, the noises are going to be there. But the way through it is acceptance, not fighting against them. Adam Weinberg's new album, Laugh, Cry, Grief, Hope, and Here's Quiet. Adam, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. I really appreciate it. It's all for you. 